You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on, join me here on the porch. I'm doing this outside. It's nice out here in Los Angeles today. It's a little chilly, but it's not raining, which, <laughs> which is a thing, right? Who would have ever thought, living in Los Angeles, that it would be raining for almost a month straight? And that's what it was doing for so long here. Um... I am outside recording today uh, just because a few things are going on. One, uh, the house is sort of chaotic uh, today because uh, Gina and Ian are prepping to go on a job to New York. And so that sort of takes over everything. Uh, two, I thought it would be really great to record an episode with a helicopter in the background. I thought that would you guys would really enjoy the sounds of that, right? Actually, in seriousness... Uh, Two is because I've been, as you've heard me talk about on prior episodes, I've been really locked into the edit on the new film, which has been a total time suck. Uh, I have been editing, color grading, like I just did two straight nights of color grading. Um, So I probably put about, uh, realistically with the color grade stuff, I probably put about 20 hours in so far realistically and I've got the last third of the movie to go which I will jump back into tonight so I haven't had time to record new episodes and I haven't had time to edit some of the older episodes that are out there Um, but I promised you guys that I would always be delivering so I figured you know take a moment go outside and just do an impromptu episode with your phone all right What's going on with us? Um, we just had, if you guys have been following me at Mike Petchy or following the podcast that I'm in love with the process pod, you've seen a lot of the recent updates. Uh, we just released the Michelle uh, Rudolph episode, and she is the actress from the, I said 1923, I think is what the name of the show is. Um, it's the Yellowstone spinoff with Harrison Ford, and she's fantastic. Uh, she's a really great actress in that show and she's a really professional, really great person to work with on set. We spent time photographing her for the new set that just came out. If you saw them, if you haven't seen them yet, they're on my Instagram or at Gina's Instagram. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're excited about it. We spent a lot of time working with the magic sauce to make those images as creamy and as pretty as possible. And there's a lot of young photographers out there that are like, what's the magic sauce? Well, you know, we're using specific pieces of gear, but more importantly, it's sort of a mindset. It's a system that took years and years for Gina and I to sort of figure out how to collaborate with each other as far as lighting is concerned, how to define what it is that she loves about light and trying to figure out the specifics about that. And from my end, it's how I simplify the lighting down to being at its core energy, you know, at its core value, which most of the time is just a single source, really. Um, But really proud with how these images came out. We had a bunch of different references. It's an emotional journey. The idea is that it's the different emotions of uh, an actress, of a woman. Um, And we tried to portray those uh, with light. And Gina obviously did all the hard labor on it and portrayed it with outfits and and poses and all the hard photography work 
Um, and I just got to really sort of focus on the lighting, which was nice. Um, and we're proud of them. I think they came out really, really beautiful. Uh, a lot of folks have been asking, like, how do we get that creamy look? The truth of it is, um, we shot the entire set with the Fujifilm GFX 100S. And we had the Photo Deox adapters. So we had the lens adapter for it. Um, so that we could put old school, I think they're from the 70s. Might be from the 80s. Old school, large format Mamiya lenses on it. So the combination of the Mamiya on the adapter plus the filtration. Gina uses a lot of special filtration, cosmetic filtration. All those steps along the way really bounced the light around and really made it uh, super, super creamy. Gave like a really nice fall off. Um, and when you get, when I get real nerdy about lighting, it's on the minutia, right? So next time you look at a photograph, examine how the hot light, like the brightest part of the image, how that translates to the shadows, like that in between that gradation that happens there. That's where I start to get real nerdy is in there. Because anybody could turn on a light, right? You could have a light that's turned on, it's super bright, and then you have a hard line that goes to the shadows. But the beauty in it is the gradations, right? It's all that stuff in between. It's just the creaminess. When you, watch, when you look at those photographs, that's a big part of it. Um, and like I said, the, there's beautification filters on there and stuff, which soften the image. But it's not the softening that makes those images exciting for me. It's, the, it's just the gradation. It's really nice. It's like, how do I describe it for those that don't take photos? I would say it's the difference. Okay. I would say it's the difference between using canned pasta sauce. Like if you got your hands on like a, like a, you know, a Progresso or whatever, like a canned marinara. Um, it's very sort of abrupt, usually because they're making it for a large audience, right? So they're like, tomato, salt, salt, <laughs> sugar, because the tomato might be too acidic for people. So sugar, and like, then they'll put a bunch of dry seasonings in it, if they're going to do that. And it, when you eat it, you're like, this is pasta, right? You're like, this is pasta sauce. This is a marinara, got it. But if you make it at home... You start to introduce all these really interesting textures and all these really nice little details that when you taste it, you just don't get the tomato and the acidity on your tongue, but you get all like these really creamy flavors that kind of like rotate around your tongue. Do you guys know what I mean? Like if you ever had something that was just delicately made and it just wraps your tongue and it hits all those different taste buds. That's what I mean about the gradation of lighting. You know, I'm, off, I'm often referencing how much lighting is like eating for me and how much it is a sensory thing. Like if I see a really great lit scene, it's like eating a good steak. You know, I feel that sense of satisfaction. Um, I, am I getting too fucking nerdy? <laughs> is, this, is this psychopathic material? Am I going to be lowering a basket into a hole in my fucking <laughs> basement soon? <laughs> Put the lotion in the basket, right? Is that where I'm headed? Probably. Probably. I think if I was a serial killer, I would like specific details like that, you know? 
Like, the skin needs to be really soft. There has to be, like, a soft texture to the skin before I run a blade through it. What a sicko. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man, we're excited. The piece came out, um, and uh, they look really nice, really good. And uh, she really likes them. We got really good feedback from the PR people. You know, getting feedback from PR people is a, is a triumph, because most of the time... Eh, most of the time they're just yes people just trying to get you to do shit for free you know it's a big struggle right you guys know it those of you who work in the business you're so talented it'd be great if you came and did your thing but we don't pay you for it you know mm. so that stuff came out so I've been dealing with that and then um, we got the film I got the film into picture lock I talked about that on the last episode and so um I have been grading now, so I've been color grading. And uh, for those of you who don't work in the business, uh, color grading is the process of taking raw images, right? So you can shoot things with your camera. And what you aim to do when you're on set, I try to, I try to light it on set the best way I can with the tools that I have, right? So I may have specific lights, I may be using LED lights to change colors. I may be using gels, um, but I'm always trying to do the best I can in the short amount of time that I have for each setup. And sometimes um, I just can't get to the specific creaminess, like I was just talking about, in the time that I need, right? Because there's a lot, there's a lot happening. You don't want to make the actor wait too long. You don't want to lose two shots because you're spending too much time uh, building that creaminess. And the cool thing about digital, and you can do it with film too if you, if you scan it into the digital realm, is that for years now, there's been this big push for digital grading and the advancements in digital grading, which is it's, it's essentially like Photoshop for photographs. And I, I mention that because a lot of people that don't work in the business understand Photoshop. It's essentially Photoshop, but for, for movies, right? So what you can do now with the technology is I can go in and specifically dial in the colors the way I want them to be. For instance, I was shooting with uh, some quasar tubes, which are these LED tubes. And LED lights give off a very specific, it almost feels neon. It has this very specific light texture that comes off of them. And oftentimes it can feel very hard. Um, especially if you're working with dark skin tones. Uh, it just reflects pretty hard in that skin tone, and it just feels crunchy. And that's a good look. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, watch uh, John Wick to a certain extent, or Atomic Blonde, and look at the hot edges. They're very, like, hard and crunchy, right? I can go in now with this program and I can dial that specific color if I want to. So I can actually go into, let's say I have like a blue backlight. So the scene is shot and I've got a white key light, which is the light that's lighting our actor and it's bouncing into his face. And I have this white key light that's properly exposed, which means that you don't have to squint when you look at it. You don't have to turn up the brightness on your TV to see it. So it's properly exposed. And then I have an, a few units in the space that are 
warmer lights. And by warmer, I mean warmer in color. So closer to the amber tones, often on the verge of being red, right? And that's, you know, a couple desk lamps or whatever. And then behind the subject, I'm using a tube, which looks like a fluorescent tube that you would find in a, a mechanics garage. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you've been in shops like that, oftentimes you'll see those tubes and they're discolored. They feel blue or they feel green. And so I picked these colors intentionally when I was shooting because I liked the contrast that these colors have. It adds to the depth of a scene. And so when you shoot a wide shot, you're establishing where these colors are. The amber is coming from the lamps on the desk. The blue is coming from the light on the wall and the... Uh, white light is coming from this specific light that's used as a practical, as a prop, right? So subconsciously, you understand when you see these colors and you see where these lights are, subconsciously you understand in a close-up where you don't see all of that stuff, you know which direction the actor's facing uh, referenced by where those colors are behind them, in front of them, right? So you know if the actor's face is totally blue in this room that means he turned around and faced the blue light behind him you see what i'm saying so there's something really nice about using color as sort of like a spatial roadmap for things the same way you would use props in the same way you would frame people with your camera like frame the actor to the right hand side to talk to somebody in front of them on the left and they frame to the left hand side so subconsciously you go got it he's on that side of the room he's on that side of the room right also, with color and contrast, I can add depth. So that's all we're trying to do is trying to convince the audience that if they put their hand into that screen, it would go inside of it, right? It's 3D without 3D technology. It's 3D using contrast, uh, and that's how our eyes work, essentially. So I can go in now into the program and I can specifically dial in each one of those colors and I can tweak those colors to be the perfect hue, to be the perfect saturation, to be the perfect softness and luminance on each one of those lights, which is super fucking rad, right? So I can go through and tweak each and every one of them because on set, sometimes you're trying your best to dial those lights into the right color, but sometimes they have too much blue in them Sometimes they have too much red in them. So I was using a blue light on set that had just too much red. So it was coming off almost like a Nicholas Ruffin, uh, you know, neon-y blue, right? And I wanted more of a, uh, like an emerald blue, like a green blue. And sure, I could sit there on set and try dialing those lights and going, how's that look? How about this? How about that? How about we change the white balance in the camera? How about this? How about that? But it just takes so much time. So I know the power of color grading now, where I know that I can just add into that specific blue, which has too much red. I can first go through there and go pull out some of the reds out of that blue, but I can add some yellows into that blue as well to give me that emerald look, which is very cool. And the program that I've been using for this is uh, Resolve. So it's DaVinci Resolve, which is a black magic product. They're not sponsoring me currently, but uh, yes, DaVinci Resolve. And I enjoy it. It's fun because of the 
level that you can go into the detail of stuff. Like I can create very specific, they call them power windows, but I can essentially on top of the footage draw a circle and I could feather the edges of that circle so you never see a hard line and I can move that circle wherever I want and inside or outside that circle, whatever I choose, I can change the color within that circle. I can change the contrast, the brightness. I could do all sorts of stuff, softening, all that. That in itself was such an interesting thing that that came out years and years ago, right? This comes from old telecine processes where you can draw a circle and just control what's happening within it. But these days they have tracking software, very similar to the kind of tracking stuff that is used for facial recognition on your phone. I think it was developed by the military originally so that they can have put it on guns, you know what I mean? Um, but I can take that circle and now track it to the movement of somebody's face. So as an actor moves through the frame, that circle will go with his face, which is rad because then, let's say that we're on set and I couldn't get another light in there, I couldn't fit it in there because you'd see it, and that actor's face is a little bit dark, well, I can now put a circle on his face and bring up the brightness on him, and it will track with him. It's really cool stuff. So think about the possibilities now, right? You spend all of your time on set trying to light something the best you can. And what I advise if you guys are taking notes is try to, try to nail your contrast ratios, right? Try to nail the, the difference between the brightest points and the darkest points, but also try to nail your color contrast ratios. So at least you're dropping in those specific colors, like there's gonna be an amber, there's gonna be a blue, there's gonna be a white light, right? Then you can further tweak those in the grading process. And that's what makes the stuff that we see look so great when you're watching Netflix. It's not just the fact that these cameras can shoot in really great low light, it's not the resolution. In my opinion, it's the creaminess. It's the details that you can dial in specifically. If you've got the time and skill, you can dial in those images to look the best that they've ever looked. And when you guys see this new film, this will make sense as I sort of talk through this. Um, it's fun to do. It's goddamn time consuming. Um, and it's been basically running my life. I've been far behind on everything. I think I'd, I have to file an extension for my taxes because I haven't had a chance to do my taxes yet. Um, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun to do. It's definitely a lot of fun to do. And it's one of these moments when you're making a film, once you get past picture lock, then you start to get into like the very exciting um, transformational work, right? So I'm taking the footage that I've been staring at on set and I've been staring at in the edit room and I'm now transforming it into this magical, cinematic, beautifully colored and contrasted work that feels like a piece of art. So when you see it, it's very satisfying. It's like plating your dish, right? It's very fucking satisfying. Same thing is happening parallel with the audio and the sound work. Right now, Mike Tran is going to be preparing to do all of the dialogue cleanup. So he's going to go through all the recorded sounds on set, raise the levels where they need to be, do some compression, remove some noise from the background, seamlessly make all the edits seem like they fit together. And so he's going to go through and clean up all the audio that we recorded. 
And then I'm handing him all of my sound effects and all of my tracks that I've created, and he's going to create his own series of sound effects. We were just hanging out the other day recording chain noises. You'll see why. Um, And so he's making that magic happen too. And the same creaminess that you would see when you do the color grading, you hear when you do really good audio. It just starts to blend all those hard edges. And you listen to it, and now it takes on a serious sort of emotional feeling, which I love, 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 love. Whenever I do edits, and I've talked about this in other shows, I need to have sound effects to cut with, uh, especially with horror, right? Because you just don't know if it's scary unless you hear the door slam. You just don't know if the audience is going to react unless you hear something coming up from behind them. And most of the time, those things aren't on set. None of that stuff is recorded on set. So you could try to cut those scenes imagining that there's a noise there, but you're never really going to get the visual, visceral response that you need to test on yourself unless you put in temp sound effects. So when I lay in my temp sound effects, they're usually very heavy-handed and they're usually very loud, right? It's like, I want a door slam. Give me a big fucking door slam. Let me build this door slam. Okay, how am I going to build this slam? Well, I found this actual recording of a door slamming. It doesn't feel that big. It feels okay. It's got all the elements I need. Like I can hear the door hitting the frame and I can hear the, the handle of the latch turning. That's good. That's like those mid-level sounds that you hear. But I want to feel it in my gut, right? So then I go hunting and I find a gunshot or I find a bass hit. And I'm like, what happens if I lay that bass hit exactly underneath when the door hits the frame mixed with that now door slam and that bass hit, it feels like a heavier door. It hits me more intentionally and you're like, oh, that's cool. All right. But I really want to make it feel like that is the strongest slam I've ever heard in my life. So now you use your imagination and you go, well, what else? What if when they slam that door on that shelf next to it, all those little metal bottles and glass bottles shake? Well, they physically don't shake. You don't see them shake. It's such a wide shot that you don't even notice. But why don't I go find some sounds? Let me find some sounds of glass bottles shaking. Okay, let me lay those on top after the slam. That's interesting because now it's adding this high noise, this clink, 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 which is high. Now it's starting to become a delectable thing to listen to. And you're like, oh, okay, well, what if when they slammed the door, something fell off the shelf? Maybe like an old tin can fell off the shelf and rolled on the floor. That's cool. So then you look for that sound. You put that sound in. See what I'm doing here? So next thing you know, that one door slam has about 35 different sounds that happen when it hits. And when I lay those into my editor, I put them into the timeline and I play it and I tweak them a little bit because I want to hear some sounds more than other sounds, but I just roughly tweak them. Throw it in there and slap, campaign, bing, 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 bing. You know, you hear all that noise and you're like, fuck yes. Now it went from just being a door shutting on set to the door shutting and affecting the space. And you're like, this is fucking cool, man. Like, this feels big. And what you're doing subconsciously is you're building out the other sounds of the environment that this character lives in, which makes it feel realer. 
which does the same thing that doing color contrast and lighting contrast does, but with the audio. So now you feel like you can step into that screen and live in that space, right? So when I do that stuff in the edit timeline, it's very rough. It's like painting with a palette knife. Uh, bear with all the cars turning on and all the stuff. I live on a fucking dead-end street, and it doesn't matter what time of day. As soon as I start recording anything, everybody looks out their window and says, this is the perfect time on a Monday afternoon to go do chores. You know what I'm saying? I'm waiting for the landscaper to show up. Yep, bye-bye. <laughs> what a dick, right? So... It's cool, right? It's interesting stuff. And I know that there's a lot of you that are filmmakers that listen to this and that have done this stuff. And you go, yeah, Mike, I, of course. But do you agree with me? This is the stuff that is great. This is the magical stuff. This is the stuff that I highly, highly recommend. Anytime you hear me talk on the show about being a PA and going to work with other people, I spent years working with my buddy David Schwartz back in Boston. We shared studio space together. I had an edit space, he had a sound mixing space, and he was a sound recordist on set. So in my downtime, which I had plenty of back then because I was just learning, I spent hours and hours with him listening to sound effects, watching how they're laid in, watching how they transform pieces. So now when I'm on set and directing, I may look around, and if I see things or if I hear things, I'll turn to the mixing guy and, or to the sound recorders and go, do me a favor. When we go to lunch, roll on a bunch of uh, different recordings of that door slamming and shake that shelf over there and move this thing too because then I can get sound effects from him. And oftentimes that's a luxury, right? Oftentimes you have to go digging hard to find different sound effects. You can subscribe to like different sound libraries um, you can hunt for that stuff. Or if you're working with really great sound designers, they have their own libraries. And if you've got the good money behind you, then you can actually give your sound editors and your sound designers a list of sound effects. And they'll go out and record them specifically for your film. That's when it gets really fun. So if you, there's big jokes, right? Like if you watch old Hollywood movies and even through the 90s, you'll hear the same eagle scream that meow. You know, and you'll hear all these specific sound effects that come from sound libraries, like old Hollywood sound libraries. For those of you vinyl nerds, you can actually go out to different shops, like here in Los Angeles, there's a bunch of them, where there's a sound effects vinyl section, which I think is hysterical. And they have all of the old Hollywood sound effects on vinyl. So you can, that's what they used to use back in the day, before they had CDs and tape. Uh, you would used to have the uh, all the sound effects stored on vinyl, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it's 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 nerdy. I feel like I got off on a good tangent there, but I I fell down a hole for a minute. Um, I love this part of of movie making. It's fun. The stress is kind of off the table as far as storytelling goes because I've locked a story that I like. When I got into picture lock, it's like all right, I've created a story. I've created the character. I've created the ride. So no matter what, I can show you this thing and you're going to feel something. So anything that I'm putting on from this point on is just taking you deeper into the world and refining the art. So it's, it, 
it's not as stressful, which I like. I mean, there's still the stress of time because I'm trying to get this thing done so I can get it out to uh, studio execs before the fucking writer's strike, right? Have you guys heard about this? There's going to be a writer's strike. And the rumors were that it was going to happen in May. And now it might be moved till June. But as soon as the writer's strike happens, no one's looking at any new material. You know what I mean? Part of the strike. So I'm trying to race to get this piece done by mid... What date am I at? Where are we at right now? I haven't even looked. By mid-April. I'm fucked. Um, so I'm hard hustling. I'm also working with the sound composer, who I'm not willing to tell you guys who it is yet. But I'm excited about it. I was just listening to his music last night, and he's never made music that I don't love. I don't think there's a song on any album that he's done that I don't absolutely love. And I'm completely honored to have him doing the score for this movie. To He's letting me use one of my favorite songs in the movie. Um, I'm very fucking excited. I was, I was doing a... A FaceTime call with him yesterday, and I just had this moment where I, I felt so fortunate um, to be able to not only call this guy a friend of mine, but have him want to do uh, music for one of my pieces. Um, so I'm very excited about it. I don't want to put too much weight on it, but uh, yeah, things are going okay with that right now, which is super fucking cool. How are things going with you? What are you doing? Have you guys been ma- making anything? I don't know if you can hear it, because if you've been listening to the show consistently, I've talked, I've said this, if you go back and listen to episode one of the show and just listen to the entirety of the past, what is it, five years, you can hear my emotional roller coaster by my tone of voice, and you can hear whether or not I'm in a depressed mode with the business based upon me repeating certain negative things, or you will hear me with very low... Uh, not attention span, but very low tolerance for shit, right? I don't know if you can hear it today, but I've got a very sort of high, excited, you know, very enthralled with what I'm doing uh, thing going on because I'm on an up, man, coming up. I was coming up from a pretty, pretty deep blow, and this piece is bringing me back up again, and I'm, I'm feeling confident about my work, I'm feeling confident about my skills as a director. I'm feeling incredibly confident about my skills as an editor. Um, I think this, I don't think, I know this is the best piece that I've done. Hands down. So if you love 12KM, um, you're going to love this piece. And when you watch it, I had a friend sit down and watch it. And this was like the best compliment. I had a friend sit down to watch it. And she said, on frame one of this movie, on shot one, frame one of this film, I knew it was a Mike Petchy movie just by how I looked at it, how it looked and what it made me feel on frame one of this movie. And I was like, well, fuck yeah, that's great. That's awesome. You know, because we live in a time period where it's very hard to, to have a voice in cinema. Very hard to have a voice as a director. Some traits that you feel like uh, can be identified as your own. And I think more than anything, that's my goal as a, as a filmmaker. 
I think if it takes me longer to do something because I have to be more strict about releasing stuff, uh, it's for the better. If you can watch my movie without the sound on and without seeing the titles, and you know it's my film, I think that's important to me. Um, and that's the goal, dude. That is the goal to do. And this piece is the definitive formula for one of my movies. And hopefully... The goal with this piece is, well, there's a couple goals. One, because of the great work that uh, actor Lance did, Lance Williams did on this, um, I really want to submit this to festivals. I want to submit this to festivals for two reasons. One, I want his face out there. I want people to see his great work. I want strangers and other filmmakers to see his great work because that's how actors get work, right? They int they're introduced and they meet people. And I, I put him through the ringer on this fucking movie. <laughs> I beat him up physically and mentally on this movie in a good way. It's not like I'm abusing him that much. Um, but, you know, to repay him for that time, he it needs to get out there. So I wanted to get into festivals for him, but also I want to just screen with an audience in real life again. Right? I've been doing the whole, you got to write to me and send me your three favorite horror movies from 12 Cam. That's been fun, but I don't get to watch it with you. I want to go watch it with people. So um, that's big goal, number one. The main goal for the whole piece is that I'm making this film to help sell other movies that we have in production. Or not in production, but in development, rather. And so I have all these different studio execs and production company execs that want to see this new movie. They're curious about what it is that I'm making. And my hope is that this will be the definitive formula for the kind of movies that I want to make right now in my life. And I tried to make this as fun as I can. I tried to make this as exciting as I can. I tried to make it as descriptive as I possibly can on how I make movies with the hope that one of these execs will back us and push one of these scripts through that we have coming out or one of our new ideas through. So that is the goal. That is the rat race. That is where I'm pushing for is what I'm doing. Um, it's exciting. It's stressful. Um, but the light is at the end of the tunnel. And it is shining brightly. And I feel very good about it. You know? Um, so yeah, man. What are you making? What are you doing? Are you in an up or are you in a down right now? And I don't mean just the people in this business. Because there's a lot of you that listen to the show that don't work in this business. Where are you right now? How's your health? What's going on? Right? Remember, it goes up and down. In certain professions, it goes up and down more radically and more often. But in just regular life, it goes up and down, right? We have low, low lows and we have high, high highs. I know a lot of you on the East Coast are now coming out of lows, right? Because you guys have had seasonal depression. You've been locked in your house. It's been too cold outside. Now the sun's out longer, right? The, the days are warmer. So you're starting to feel really good. I, I, I mean, I guess I've been kind of getting it here on a smaller level because it's been raining so much. But I do miss that feeling back in the East Coast after fucking February, right? You get through February and even into March where it's still fucking cold. You might get a snowstorm in March, right? And it's that one day where you go outside and the sun's up and the lawn's thawed out to the grass is thawed out. And they were just, you just see it. There's like a bud 
of a flower coming through the ground and you're like, ah, and it just feels new. It all feels fresh, right? That's an up. You're on the up. Are you excited? You push into the summer. You're on the up, man. Whenever I was a kid at home, that spring meant that the summer wasn't far away. That meant that summer vacation was coming. That meant that I could be outside longer. The air started to smell different, right? You start to smell pollen. Some people, that's a nightmare. But you start smelling pollen. You start smelling flowers, right? Things become better, nicer. So, yeah, man. I hope you guys are getting ready for an up. Um, but that's it. I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, um, let's uh, let's catch up. So you know that we're giving away a gift certificate, $150 gift certificate to Photo Deox. These guys make all sorts of different equipment. But most importantly, why I use them is they make these lens adapters for your cameras. So if you buy a new camera, let's say you get your hands on one of the Fujifilm rigs, um, the X-H... Uh, 2S is the one, I think I got the number right, um, is the one that I use. The video camera, it's really sweet. It's 4K, um, has the ability to do uh, internal looks, so I can actually apply color correction in camera with it, which is great. Um, but if you get a new camera like that, on, and then you have to get lenses for that camera, right? And let's say that you used to be a Nikon person or you used to be a Canon person. And you just don't like their new cameras in the marketplace. And you're like, I like what Fujifilm's doing, but shit, man. It's going to cost me thousands and thousands of dollars to buy all the prime lenses that I used to have for my Canon. That's a nightmare. It would be nice if there was a world in which I can mount those Nikon lenses onto my Fuji back. That would be great because I like the, the quality of light that comes through that glass. Well, you can do that. With a company like Photo Deox, they sell lens adapters. So they'll adapt your Nikon lenses to a new Fuji bag. So essentially, you're getting the same look of your older images on larger formats, higher resolution. It's exciting, man. That's how Gina and I pulled off that new uh, shoot with Michelle. So Gina was able to use these old school vintage Mamiya lenses on a beautiful camera back like Fujifilm's GFX 100S and so when you look at those images right if you go look at those images now on Instagram at Mike Petchy right you'll find my post take a look at them they look like older images correct they look like these images from the past maybe they were shot in the 90s maybe they were shot in the 80s but they're high resolution they're beautiful. You can zoom way in on them. That's what you get with one of these lens adapters. That's what you can pull off. The combination of the lens adapters and that make your life very easy. Um, and the other thing that's very exciting about them, which I've mentioned a few times, is that you can get uh, lens adapters for almost any lens that's made to fit on your camera, as long as it all works. Fit it on your camera. So that means if you get like a PL mount... That will allow you to use cinema lenses on your camera. So you can actually go to a company like uh, Boca Rentals here in Los Angeles, get your hands on beautiful cinema lenses. So you can get your hands on the lenses that they shot like the show you with or they shot the Joker with, right? Or they shot the new Batman with. Those lenses are crazy. I was just looking those up the other day. I'm going to forget what their name was. 
Oh my gosh, right on the tip of my tongue. It's not Mamiya. Oh shit. They had specialty rehoused lenses, right? So there was a specific set of lenses that were made, I think in the 80s, that were still lenses that were made specifically to give you these really cool out-of-focus sort of bokeh uh, reflections and flares. And they're so specific. And a few, I think a cinematographer or a rental house got together and they took these old still lenses and rehoused them into cinema style lenses so lenses that you could put follow focus units on all that kind of stuff and it really changed the look of a lot of stuff that you've seen lately like i know batman shot with some stuff like that i know the joker i think shot with some of those and then you've got a bunch of these shows like you that shot with that if you watch Zack snyder's um uh, army of the dead he had a very specific set of uh, rehoused lenses that are made um, and they all give a specific look, a very creamy vibe look to them, which is super fucking rad. And you can now put those lenses that you would normally have to rent like an Airy Mini or get a large format camera that has PL mount to it to be able to use those lenses. That's just money. That's cost. But now you can take those lenses with a Photo Deox adapter and put them on your Fujifilm camera and shoot on your Fujifilm camera with that. You see what I'm saying? I try to introduce you guys on the show to tools that are revolutionary for us. Not that expensive. And little tools like this change the game for how your work feels and looks. So if you guys want to have a better chance of winning this gift certificate on the show, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Photodeox's Instagram page. I'll be sure to post that somewhere in the description of this episode. You can also find them just... Go on Instagram right now. It's photodiox, F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X. I'm saying that off the top of my head. Photodiox, okay? Go to any of their posts. Tag me in this post so I know you did it. And just write, thank you for supporting and love with the process. Do that today. I'm going to pick a winner for this next week. So do that today while you're listening to the show. You're on your phone. Just go to Photo Deox on Instagram. Any of their posts, tag me in it and say, I really appreciate you guys supporting and love with the process. Okay? I'll pick a winner next week. And uh, you guys will be able to get your hands on some game-changing fucking adapters. And, and this isn't just for filmmakers. This is for photographers. This is for hobbyists. Anybody that wants to make their stuff look interesting and different and uh, if, you know, maybe it just comes down to you seeing the world differently and you haven't been able to find a new lens in the marketplace that sees the world the way you do. I know this for a fact. That's why I like to shoot with older lenses. All right. That's it, man. Um, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I have a bunch in the can. I promise you I will be editing recording new guests. I'm talking to some really fascinating new guests to have on the show. I've just been postponing everything because of this cut. I have to get this cut done in time. Um, I'm going to try to release some stills from the movie soon. You'll be able to see that stuff. And I did do a post last week. If you guys haven't seen it, I put a slate up there. The name of the new film is Come Home is what the name of my new film is. So you're in the know. All right. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate you all. And uh, as always, you'll catch me here again next Tuesday with another episode. 
Thanks for listening.